Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to your malt mates at Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit-down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic thing that it is. And through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. This week is a special edition of Beer is a Conversation, a chat with Akash's Dave Padden, to borrow a phrase, recorded live in front of a studio audience. This conversation took place as part of the first birthday celebrations of Brisbane's My Beer Dealer, one of Brisbane's best bottle shops. We were invited to record a live chat with Dave to discuss many things, including a special two-way collaboration with Hop Nation to celebrate the birthday. It's a very wide-ranging chat that we have split into two parts, looking at Dave's progression from a systems engineer to, as he puts it, falling hard for beer and taking up home brewing to progressing to his own brewery, to moving on from that brewery and the challenges and learnings around that process, and then starting his current brewery, Akasha. We look at his approach to brewing, his love of hops, the rapidly evolving beer scene, and whether he and Akasha will ever brew a milkshake IPA. This was a rare podcast recorded with beer in hand. Regular listeners will know that we avoid the sip and discuss style podcast, and so parts of the chat about the specific beers while we've been drinking them have been edited out for the podcast listeners' benefit. Though I have to say, do look out for the Akasha Mosaic IPA. If you haven't had it, it is a lovely beer. Thanks to Antoinette, Matt and Les at My Beer Dealer for hosting us, and congratulations on your first year. We will be recording more live chats there, so please let us know how the live chat format translates to the podcast so we can continue to improve how we do it. As always, this is a fascinating conversation with a passionate brewer and one that I've long wanted to get on tape. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, without any further ado, uh, I'd like to welcome our guest to live at my beer dealer, um, Dave Patton from Akasha Brewing. Big round of applause. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. We've had this chat before, but not in front of th- this group. So we're going to go over a little bit of uh, ground before we sort of start um, pulling apart the, the, the beer industry um, a- as a whole. Um, but, mate, tell us, how did you get into brewing? Because um, you, you are one of the guys that has been around for quite some time in, in this thing that we call craft beer. I'm a little bit older than some, that is correct. Um, I've been a professional brewer now for almost nine years, which I guess in this game is, is a fair amount of time. And um, my where I fell in love with beer and discovered beer was as a home brewer. So um, one of the, you know, it's, it's, it's really, a, I guess, a path for many, many brewers around the world, particularly in the States and, and, and here in Australia as well, is, you know, start off as a home brewer, fell in love with beer pretty quickly. Well, but before we sort of move on from that, how did you come to be a home brewer? Because there's a lot of um, paths to home brewing. There's the university student share house. Um, <laughs> everyone's too cheap. And you want the 25 cent stubby um, and you put a bit of extra sugar in um, to, to, to get there quicker. We've all been guilty of that. <laughs> We've all been. <laughs> um, there's there's the, you know, the, the frustrated um, you know, chemical engineers or you know, computer guys who are looking for a creative outlet for some of that science background. How, how did you come to be in, uh, uh, get into home brewing? Mm, it, certainly, it certainly wasn't a, wasn't a price thing for me. It was, it was um, I, I, lucky enough in my, you know, as, a, as a professional before beer, um, was um, qualified systems analyst, so the IT angle the IT is angle, certainly okay. there. Um, but before that, I was uh, heavily into science as well. So... Definitely had the hallmarks of, of, of being, you know, was, was, was going to get hooks pretty quickly. But for me, you know, during that professional career, I spent a lot of time travelling, pretty much travelling the world. So a lot of time in, in the US, of course, and Asia and, and the UK. But in the US was where I really discovered, um, more so than in Australia, that I really loved drinking beer. It's been, you know, the old story of, you know, tasting a Sierra, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, loving it, um, you know, getting a hop, um, addiction pretty early um so always loved those hot forward styles um fell in love with those styles of beer came you know and back here in australia decided you know what so not so much saving money but really wanting to get to, in to understand the process and and, and uh, got pretty deep pretty quickly and, and so what year was this because it, it, it's very much it, it's it's amazing how the waves of craft beer and where people come in mm. really their palate is calibrated by what point of the craft beer movement they entered 
Yeah, homebrewing for me. Um, uh, so we, uh, I was one of the, the founders of the Western Sydney Brewers, which is a homebrew club, uh, obviously in Western Sydney, and that was around two thousand and eight. So, um, as a homebrewer, I guess a couple of years around two thousand and five, two thousand and six. So relatively early, I guess, in the, in the scheme of things. But that was the time that um, you know it was a, we had the, I had the Cooper's kit story back in many many years ago. Um, that was crap. Gave it away. Bought another Cooper's kit around that 2005, 2006. You know, within a, within a couple of months was cooking on the stove. And then, you know, about six months after that, you know, had a, had a mini brewery out in the garage. A lot of people have that bad experience. Like not, and it's not the Cooper's kit, but that sort of easy, what's sold as an easy part to home brewing. Mm. Um, that you just do this, you mix this, you, you wait a couple of weeks. But that's, I guess, where the science background can come in mm. is having that better understanding of some of the microbiology that's taking place that if you're yeah, not... keeping things clean. Yeah, keeping things clean. <laughs> it's pretty much what it comes down to. And I think when you first open that Cooper's kit, you, you have no idea... Well, most people don't have any idea what they're doing unless they're lucky enough to have somebody with them that does. And that's not the... the it, it may do now, but certainly back then it wasn't sort of in big letters across the top saying, make sure you clean everything properly because <laughs> that's what makes all the difference. Uh, and then, you know, even taking there, there it... There are some commercial brewers that should probably have that written in there. <laughs> I'll wait for another beer until we get into that. But uh, so, you know, I think, you know, there's things like that. There's, you know, even, even the Cooper's kit itself can get a lot better by, you know, subbing in a good yeast or, or um, you know, adding in some, just a little bit of steeping grains or whatever it might be. So you move on pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, that cleanliness thing, I think, is the one that catches everybody by surprise in their first brew. Now, today we're talking a little bit about hops, so we'll move on to some of the beers that we, we're trying. But what was it about the beers that you were trying in the US? Um, and I, I think I, just to preface that, I came in a little bit earlier than you, so my interest in beer was probably pre-Little Creatures in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and it was the Belgians. So I was yeah. sort of very, uh, you know, the, the beers you could get in those days were the Belgian wits and the, the, the blondes and the triples, um, which were a little bit more yeast-driven. Yeah. Um, but post-2000 in Australia, it was very much about the hops. Um, yeah. Was it the hops that excited you about the, the, the beers that were coming through? Initially, I think when I first started travelling the States, it would have been in the 90s, so you know, the mid to late 90s and, and discovering, um, you know, there's still plenty of, of beers in the States around that time that were starting to come through. Um, I think, first of all, it was beer with taste. I think it wasn't, wasn't the very first beer that I had was all about the hops and that's you know, the only thing I'm going to concentrate on. But definitely beer, um, even lagers with, with, you know, made with decent malt um, and a little bit of hops really got me interested. But... Um, quickly shifted over pretty quickly into those, you know, probably before Little Creatures or around the same time as Little Creatures where I fell in love with Sierra Nevada, fell in love with Little Creatures, Pale Ale here and, and, and then really progressed from there. And I guess like any addiction, you start to, you start to, to, uh, to crave something a little bit bigger and moving <laughs> on to IPAs and double IPAs and the all those sorts of things pretty shift. quickly. The loophole and shift. <laughs> so um, so I, I think it was just, to, you know, again, I, I have very distinct moments in my, in my life from when I first started drinking craft over in the States through to, to now. I have, you know, there's probably 10 distinct moments in my life where I, you know, you just remember every moment of drinking a particular beer or brewing a beer or whatever it might be that, that made a difference to where I was headed. What were they? Um, can, you, can you reel them up? We, we, we won't go into the every moment, but yeah, can you, yeah, can you yeah. reel I mean, off some of those um, I remember, remember very clearly my first Little Creatures Pale Ale here, just to, um, you know, remembering that, oh, just remembering those sort of flavours back in the States and thinking, wow, that's finally made it here. This is great. This is where, where, where it's all headed. Uh, first year in Nevada Pale Ale. Um, I remember in, oh, I'm going to say about 10, maybe 12 years ago, um, being in uh, Kansas City, um, in the middle of the states, at um, at a place called the Flying Saucer Beer Emporium, um, drinking through 100 taps of all sorts of different stuff and in one sa- city <laughs> no, over a couple of days. Let's just say that <laughs> there's still a lot of beer, and um, and I remember saying to the uh, to the to the to my host at the end of the night, saying, "I've had a lot of beer and." You know, she said to me, what, you know, what, what do you want next? And I said, oh, I've probably got one more beer left in me. Yeah, surprise me. What, what's your favourite beer that you've got, whether it's on tap, whether it's in the fridge? And it was a uh, New Belgium La Folie Sour Brown Ale, um, which is sort of bringing together the Belgians, bringing together the American styles, and, and, and it just completely blew, my, blew me away. 
I'd had a few beers, but I still remember but every moment of it. They're the ones that you really remember because they cut through the fog. It was nothing like I've had before. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, really exciting stuff. Now, you guys are going to be my uh, aide de memoir because I'm going to put a pin and come back to craft lagers because the world has come back to craft lagers uh, that I've discovered, including... Crispy uh, boys. Crispy boys. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So I just think it sounds cool. I, I, I know it exists somewhere in the Twitter <laughs> world, but I, I won't ask you to define it. Um, but... Including Akasha has come back to to a lager. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so you got into homebrew. Yep. You're involved in the community that uh, is a homebrew club, the the uh, Western Sydney uh, homebrew yep, club. Western Sydney Brewers. Yeah. Um, at what point did you decide to give away the financial security of systems analyst? Another moment I remember well. But yes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> to to uh, throw all of that away. Um, and potentially your relationships and everything uh, <laughs> to to found to, to go pro and and was it with your own brewery or was it to work for somebody else? Yeah, it was um, it was certainly mine. So that was uh, so Riverside Brewing Company was was the first brewery that I founded back in 2012, and uh, yeah, in a couple of years I guess or maybe a year and a half leading into that, getting getting that prepared. I mean, even back then it was there wasn't wasn't that many breweries around, right? So. Yeah, there were five or six breweries um, operating in Sydney, and and it was it wasn't just sort of, now. I think it's you know there's a lot more knowledge around a lot of people to, to draw on a lot of knowledge to draw on. There wasn't a lot back then, but there are some key people that helped me do it. But um, it was it wasn't a sort of wake up one morning and say you know what I'm going to do this. I think it was a dream for a number of years that that perhaps I could, and and I guess lucky enough that you know I had a good career. My wife has had a good career that we we were in a position to say well you know. I probably won't earn any money for a couple of years. It's still still kind of going, but uh, <laughs> and you probably and then, won't yeah. see me, darling, for a couple of years, yeah. and you know, because there's all of all that goes with that. Yeah. Or did you know that at the, when when you're setting up? Did you know what the commitment that's more than just a financial or a you know foregone opportunity through work? That what the cost is when you're starting. Yeah, a the, the like non-dollar that. cost, I yeah. guess. I, I probably didn't, and I don't think many people do. And I think, I think again, probably a bit more, sort of people a bit more open about that now, and, and um, certainly that hasn't changed. But um, I did fall in love hard with beer, and it was I, I, I knew I had to do something, and I'd never had that feeling about another hobby or a job or whatever it might have been. So I knew that I had to do something. Um, and so I, I, I wouldn't say I would say I dipped my toe in the water because we did open a full, you know, 20-heck brewery, brewery straight away at Riverside. But um, I did keep my day job for um, a good year, uh, the first year. So um, we opened a brewery. I mean, you know, it took a year and a half to get that moving. Um, at that time, there wasn't a lot of brewery equipment around either, and, and China was just becoming a thing as well. So we ended up um, the... Um, Mountain Goat was upgrading their brewery around 2011, and um, you know they brewed millions of liters through this old old thing, and uh, were upgrading, and it was uh, it was a good deal, and, and we ended up going down to Melbourne to check this brewery out. And I, 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 now I, I don't know whether you saw it on Brews News, but we advertised the sale of that kit on Brews News. Um, Oh, so when, yeah, so back then, back then, did yeah. you? That's where I must have seen it. Of course, <laughs> that's where I still see everything today, Matt. You know, <laughs> whenever I'm after anything, I always look at Bruce News first. Uh, this, um, broad, this podcast is brought to you by. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, so, so you, you got, went so, down to check out yeah, the old mountain. Checked it out and uh, and uh, came home making the decision that we. And it was a pretty. Rough and ready kit because again mm. they they were a, a whole generation before you in craft beer terms, mm. and they'd upgraded, they'd cobbled together and then upgraded and extended and had finally outgrown something that they desperately clung to. Yeah, and it was, but it was it was a cost effective way at that time of getting into it. To buy a new kit back then was very very expensive. So, um, so that was that was the choice we had. We either went on a we either went a very small kit, uh, almost a brew pub kit, or we we just just go for it and we went for it so just before we move on to the next question um i'll i'll ask is it too easy for people to open breweries these days because there is so many businesses have grown up to service it that if you almost on a whim decide to open a brewery it is just so easy to do it without having to do make hard decisions along the way well, I think it's still a lot of money to open a brewery. I think, and I think it's probably the mistake, the mistake I've made, the mistake a lot of breweries have made is, 
is looking too hard at the initial cost of equipment as the cost of opening a brewery because the cost of opening a brewery is, is way, way, way more than the cost of equipment. Um, you know, you've really got to think about cash flow. You've got to think about the rent. You've got to think, yeah, you, know, you could be paying rent for two years before you even, you know, open a door. So I think, I, I still think it's still quite a high barrier. So I'm not sure where everyone's <laughs> getting all their money from, but um, I think it's always been a trick in any business, particularly in brewing, to, um, to maybe not think forward enough as to what the true costs of opening a business are. Um, okay, so you, you've got the Mountain Goat kit, you opened uh, Riverside. How, yep. how did that work out? You, know, you made some smoking beers um, when yeah. you were there, created a lot, of, uh, you know, a lot of hype and a lot of buzz around some of the beers. And I, I know for a fact that some of the beers that you created had the same effect on subsequent generations of beer drinkers that Little Creatures and some of those beers had on you. Yeah, it was um, it was a bit scary because we were not we were opening a brewery in, in a in a town that only had a handful of breweries at that point, and and also um, we were and I've been pretty hard nosed from day one about the type of beers that I want to brew. There's no point in brewing beers that you're not that, that you're not in love with, and, and we're always going to be. I was always going to be a hop forward brewer, so you know coming out with double IPAs out of the blocks was was pretty rare back then. So um, we learned a lot. I mean, as a home brewer, I brewed. You know, I must have brewed the, the beers that we released. Essentially, to you know, the IPA, the pale, the the double IPA were beers I brewed 50 times as a home brewer. So I was confident that they were okay. Still scared the shit out of me, but I was confident <laughs> that, that they would do okay. So we did that. You know, I did that part. I was doing this at, at night, weekends, um, on a 20 heck brew house. You know, so brewing plenty of beer, and it, and it was pretty successful pretty quickly. So um, that yeah, almost killed me that first year, to be honest. But when you're making you know, like a, a big double, you know, IPA on, on a 50-litre homebrew kit or, you know, even a larger homebrew kit, sharing it with your mates, sharing it with the homebrew club, sharing it with your neighbours. Um, there's a big difference in scale, both scaling the recipe but then scaling the market for those beers. How, how did that work out for you? Did you get in at the right time that there was a lot of, you know, untapped market to pick up? It was a bit of education for us, I think, and I think we all, we all have a little bit of that no matter when we open a brewery, but um, back at that time was when we were starting to get big IPAs and double IPAs from the States into, you know, Dan Murphy's was starting to stock them. There were a few independents that were starting to stock them, um, but they weren't actually a, a shadow of what they meant to be. So I think the market actually thought they knew what an IPA and a double or American style IPA and a double IPA was, but they actually didn't. So we had quite a few people who who, who would come to the brewery, come to the cellar door, or taste a, a double IPA and say, well, I, I don't think this is right, you know. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> it's not bitter enough. Uh, it's, it's, it's got too much of that fruity stuff going on. It's, you know, it, was, it was quite interesting at the start of, the, of, of bringing these beers to the market where a lot of people fell in love with them quickly, but quite a few people actually thought that we weren't really brewing a double IPA. It's not, you know, it's not this bitter oxidised mess that I'm used to. They don't know that, obviously. They don't know that it's oxidised. Yep. They don't know that because it's this dark brown, it's because it's you know, <laughs> been sitting on a warm container for so long. They, they, didn't, they didn't understand that. So there's a real education on them to say, well, this is what it's meant to taste like. Yeah. You know, it's meant to be a lot easier to drink. It doesn't have to be so bitter. It doesn't have to have all these, you know, tastes like wet cardboard and all the usual things we talk about. But that's the same conversation that we've had about lagers. And, you know, when people get upset that, oh, Peroni's made in Australia these days or whatever, you know, not highlighting that as a great beer, but so many people tasted premium lagers as being wet cardboard and cat's pee. Um, and if it doesn't have... Well, or, or as uh, Charlie Bamforth likes to say, if we were in wine, we would call it parchment and feline. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> characteristics. But uh, um, once you suddenly have a fresh lager and you go, well, oh, this, this isn't premium because it's missing those characters. Mm. And, and that is an education, and it's an education now. Yeah, 100%. As the crispy boys are starting to, <laughs> to come back into the market, I, I think, yeah, you, yeah when, and they are a great beer for, for newcomers into the, into the craft beer space. And, and I think, yeah, we've got that same battle on our hands. But, um, yeah, same sort of thing. Okay. Um, well, know, but before we move on, yeah. just explain the idea of the crispy boy. 
Well, okay. <laughs> Cause, cause I, I'll, I'll be honest. I've just ignored it. I, I, I see it all the time, and I just sort of think this is another irrelevant thing that's going to come and go. Well, look, it's just it's just a term, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it started with hazy boys essentially. So, hazy boys, so, yeah. so the, yeah, a lot of the hazies were called hazy boys, and and whether that refers to the beer itself or the or the or the gentlemen that drink them, I'm I'm not quite <laughs> sure. But so <laughs> and then you know, I think as we've seen lagers, I think we're starting. You can probably see this from your trip to the states recently. We're starting to see hopefully a lot more lagers come through in the game over there and um yeah it's just a term it's a lager term nice crisp lager crispy boys but how much of that term is insult to those people how much of it is <laughs> um having a cool term to define somebody who likes something legitimizes it is, is this is this is i had this argument with a couple of people the other night uh, around whether crispy boy actually referred to the lager itself or the person that was drinking it i don't know i don't know if, it, if it's directed at the... I don't know. What does everyone think here? Yeah. <laughs> well, nobody uses it. We're on our own. I don't well, know. But. As I said, there is so much... The, the, the market has become so incredibly fragmented yeah. um, that as somebody who tries to keep across it, um, you have to decide what you're going to sort of focus on a yeah. little bit. And all of these little fringe terms... That was just one term I just decided. I, I, think I, the, I do not need to know anything <laughs> about this. I just think it's. I think it sounds cool, but I, I think we've got to be careful as an industry as we grow and as we have. There are so so many of us, whether we're brewers or drinkers or whatever, that we don't become um, sort of shut ourselves in, or shut more importantly, shut other people out by by using terms. It's like the and, IT. And, and it's like the three letter it. acronym in IT, right? You know, yep. if, anyone who wasn't wasn't in IT listened to a conversation, they have no idea what anyone was talking about. And we've got to be careful well, wine, we don't do that as wine well. Wine became so. Yep. I, I, one of the things I talk a lot about is. You know, you go out to dinner with a group of, you know, a dozen people and there's always that one wanker who holds themselves out as the self-appointed expert and everyone else is too scared to order the wine that they'll enjoy Mm. and they'll defer to that person to, to order for everybody because... They don't want to be judged, and everybody drinks what that guy likes. Everybody yeah. drinks what that guy likes, mm. and uh, or you know, or girl, um, in, in increasingly. But yep. it's, I, I always come back to the reason we drink is for the pleasure it brings us, and that is a purely um, subjective, personal thing. Yep. Um, and beer is starting to go into some of those corners. Yeah, I think we, I think we do need to be careful. I think, um, as I said, once we, we're at it, we're at, we're at that sort of critical stage. There's a whole lot of different things we need to be careful of, whether it's quality, whether it's whatever. But I think the not to make it a boys' club for one of a better term in terms of shutting newcomers or making newcomers afraid or a little bit nervous about getting involved. Exactly like you know people used to do with that wine guy or girl. Back to to the Riverside talking about you know people were trying double IPAs fresh for the first time. The the, the business grew, um, and then what happened? Um, so yeah, we, we we were sort of about two and a half years I, after that. Because it wasn't. Year, did did you go into a Riverside? Yeah, yeah, so really I'm, by yourself. It was just you. No, no, it was two of us. So so yeah, uh, two owners, two fifty fifty owners, and uh, we. Uh, so after a year, um, again, one of those moments in my life I, I remember really well. Um, I already had two brewers working for us, and we needed to hire a third brewer. And I was working part time. I didn't have the, the the bandwidth to to do it full time at that point. And spent that weekend talking to my wife about the business, as, as we often do, and said, oh, I need to hire another brewer. And um, it was Friday night, and talking about how, where am I going to... Because there's no brewers in Sydney, right? This is the, ne- the other problem, is that there's not that many around. I don't have time to train somebody. Where am I going to find a brewer? And she, she looked at me and she goes, it's time. I'll, I'll never forget it. That was the time that on Monday I resigned and became a full-time brewer. Okay, so what year was that? So that would have been 2013, um, and uh, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. You're no longer with uh, Riverside. Yeah. So, so around what uh, was the progression from you going full time? Uh, so it was around so towards the end of 2014. I think um, again, there's a number of um, I guess things when you start a business that you look back and, and think that maybe you could do things a little differently. It was it was it was really hard, and it still is. I think running any business, a small business, is hard, but running a brewery is hard. Look, we um, we it got to a point pretty quickly where I think uh, the the two owners had different ideals, had different plans, had different sort of pl- ways where they want where we wanted to take the business, and 
had to make a hard decision pretty quickly as to you know I, that this thing's going in two different directions. So um, we'll, we'll part ways and, and I'll start again. This episode of Beer is a Conversation is brought to you by Unleashed Software. Unleashed is more than inventory management software for brewers. It's a system that runs your whole business operations and gives you an unfair advantage. With Unleashed, you can create custom recipes, effortlessly track your cereal and batch numbers, and understand your stock levels at all times at every location. Learn how Unleashed can help you run and grow your brewery at unleashedsoftware.com forward slash brew. Now, when you decided to open the brewery, um, were there these conversations, you know, where do you want to, you know, how, how far ahead did you guys look and how, you know, was it just looking at the day that we open or was it looking at what, what's our vision for the business three years yeah, down and the track? And that's exactly the issue was there, there weren't those conversations and I think, I think with anything, it's, you know, you're, you're spending, you spend more time with these people or this person than, you, than your wife or your family and um, you've got to make sure that you're both headed in exactly the same direction. And that needs to be, two things need to happen. One, you need to make sure that you're both on the same track. And the other thing that needs to happen is what happens if you don't. So um, what, you know, really, really think about the, the worst thing that can happen and, and what's going to happen in that, you know, get it all down on paper and then, and then get on with it. So, and had um, you done any of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> we, li- we live in, and actually one of the best chats I've had, aside from this one um, recently, um, was with Jamie Cook um, from Stone and Wood and uh, we talked about everything but Stone and Wood. We talked about his 40 year career and all of the essentially everything that they had done wrong over a career had been applied to to Stone and Wood in a lot of ways Um, and Phil Sexton as well talking about Matilda Bay. Everything that he's done right as as a result of the mistakes that he made earlier on. So and I don't think any, unless you, you know, the age-old thing, you know, I've had plenty of mentors over, over my, both careers and, and they'll always say to you that you've got to, you know, you've kind of got to make some of these mistakes. You've got, to, you've got to take the hard road sometimes to learn the lessons that you'll need, you know, later on in life. And that's, yeah, definitely learnt quite a few in that period. So when you decided to leave, why, how come you didn't get to keep the silver? Um, <laughs> the, the, the cutlery? Yeah, it's a, that's, that's, that's probably the hardest conversation of the lot, right? Um, you know, to you know, it, it was amicable. It was yeah. We both we're both heading in different directions. Um, you know, who gets to keep the kids, right? It's <laughs> it's a tough one. So it was a very difficult. Um, I, I mean, I had some at that point. I had some very very hard nosed ideas of where I wanted my brewery, whether it was here or another one, uh, wanted to go, and um, I was pretty comfortable that I could do either. So um, I'm glad I did. The went the way we did. I was able to again, even building a brewery on its own, the equipment you buy, the the people you hire, the the, the ways that you do things. If you get that chance again, you do it very differently. So so that was the positive of that of that scenario. It's not unlike renovating a house. You know, you almost want to buy a bad house and have a mock renovation before you actually have the one you want to live in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Then you throw the whole lot out and just go and buy a new one. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so talk does anyone me- renovate twice? <laughs> you open a second brewery. Yeah, so yeah, but I, yeah, with brand new equipment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when when you did decide that, look, we we want to we want different things. I want to see other people. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I want to brew other beers. Um, what when you finally sort of packed up your one suitcase and sort of left? What was your vision? So that was yeah, that was the end of two thousand and fourteen. Christmas, so literally a few days before Christmas. So, so I, this all happened very quickly. The, well, this, no, no, this so happened early. It's sort, of, sort of around sort of uh, August, September, and then I, you know, to do the right thing. But um, it was only two years I, from. Yeah, it was only only it's about two and a half years. So um, did the right thing, hang around to try and make sure that everything was ready to roll by the time I, I rolled out. So potentially just an employee for those last few months, um, and did everything right to ensure that the business was was okay after I left. Um, then I had a few months off. I, I had I had plans to take an extended period of time off um, because it had been a very hard two and a half years, and it didn't last very long. 
So, <laughs> why uh, is that? Yeah. To talk is, yeah, well, it's, it's, I, I, why I, plans change is almost as important as... Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, and this is, I think, you know, I always knew that I loved this beer thing, right? It was, it, it caught me early on. Um, I mean, you know, uh, people always ask me, you know, oh, have you got any, um, got any tips for people who are looking again into beer or get into opening a brewery or homebrewers that want to go pro? And it's, you've really, really, really got to love it because it is, it is a great lifestyle and, and brewing. I mean, at the end of the day, I say to my guys every day, um, no matter how hard it was, you know, 16 hour days. We're brewing beer. How bad can this be, right? But if you don't have that deep love for it, it, can, it would get pretty old pretty quickly, I think. And that's one of the things I One of the I things say I say over and over, people say you've got the best job. And anything you have to do for a living and anything that sort of is a, a bind, mm. I've had shittier jobs, but you're still working. Yeah, I've had shittier jobs. I've had jobs that pay a hell of a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know... It, I've it, had it, people it pay my super for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. So and it's not just you either. It's 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 yeah okay. I love it and 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 I'm happy to be paid very little for the rest of my life. And but I also need to make sure that my wife and my three kids are in on that boat as well, right? Otherwise, it's not going to uh, not going to end well. So, it, so it, it was pretty clear after you know sort of mid to to late January when I was sitting around you know sunning myself on the beach and all those kinds of things. Um, I was missing it dearly, very 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 quickly. So were you home um, brewing during this time? I'm so <laughs> it's a very good question. I bought a uh, oh, what was it called Grainfather, which was a, a, a sort of one, an all-in-one homebrew kit, uh, literally for Christmas. So I finished the week before Christmas. For Christmas, I bought myself this Grainfather. And to cut a long story short, when we opened the new brewery, however many months later, it was still in the box. So <laughs> I never got, So I had aims, but it, so very quickly in January. Um, no, I want to get this moving pretty quickly. Um, I'd already had. Quite a few people talked to me about, you know, they knew that I'd probably open again and, and there was funding there and all that kind of stuff. So that happened very quickly. Talk, talk to us about that because there yep. is a lot of money, um, just as an industry watcher, there is a lot of money swirling around looking for a home um, in craft beer. People see it as a really good investment for some reason. Um, so... <laughs> Why in God's name would anyone think that? <laughs> um, my advice to anybody is go buy yourself a news agency. Um, but, <laughs> um, it says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, at least you know what you'll sell it for. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so, so once you'd left um, your, the, the first brewery, did people start approaching you going, hey, what's the next thing? I'd love to be involved in... Uh, Dave's next project. Yeah, there's certainly, um, if, you know, uh, whether they're relatives, whether they're friends, whether they're people who, who are kind of involved in all sorts of different, whether they're suppliers, you know, there's, there's certain people that put their hand up. Having said that, when you actually say, oh, okay, a lot of those hands come down. <laughs> but but there were, we certainly had a couple of options open to us. I'm not a huge fan of big sort of, you know, rooms of shareholders, so um, the less the better. But in this case, um, it was, yeah, my brother and I put his... The fewer the better. What did I say? The less. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's no, one, no, no. It's one right. of my you get peeves. one of those, Matt. You get one. You know, like one third less carbs. No, no, it's one third fewer carbs. So I want to sort of start graffitiing. Anyway. All right. So remember I said IT and science. I did not <laughs> say English. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That was, we'll, we'll edit that out. No problem. No, no, leave, <laughs> it, leave it in. So uh, where, where was I? Um... um yeah, so, uh, and um, so fewer the, uh, I'm not even going to go out. <laughs> no, fewer was right, fewer hands. Now you got me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, my, my brother-in-law, who, who actually had, had approached me um, at the previous brewery to, to willing, was, was quite keen to invest. And as I said, I, I'm not a fan of bringing on shareholders for the sake of bringing on shareholders, so we didn't do anything then. Um, we actually, yeah. Was, so you've, you've got a good relationship. Was he as, as keen for you to marry his sister as he was to go into business with you? So a little bit of a different relationship, but close enough. Look, he was, he, was, uh, he was very keen. There was no doubt about that. And I think a lot of people are caught up in the romanticism of opening a brewery. And that's okay. I think that I'd rather somebody be, be caught up in the romanticism of opening a brewery rather than wanting to earn a buck. Yeah. So, yep. And I think that's where you have successful shareholders is where you have people that are in it because, one, they, they love it as well or whatever, or they, did, they want to see you succeed or they've got you know, whatever it is. If there's anyone after a short-term investment or want to make a lot of money, then get rid of them pretty quickly. 
Um, so it, it happened very quickly. Um, talk us through what did you learn in your first brewery that you applied to the second brewery? Probably just slow down. I mean, as you said, it happened quickly, but really have a good think about um, there's a whole lot of different things, whether it's um, having the right, um, again, making sure everyone's on board as to what the vision is of what this brewery is going to be, and that was certainly done um, to detail. Having the right paperwork in place, having all that kind of stuff to, to support which shouldn't be a problem. If you've all got the same vision, the paperwork shouldn't be a problem. What happens if somebody needs to get out? And that actually happened to us as well. So our shareholdership has changed. Um, so what happens if that happens? You know, if all of a sudden, okay, I'm, I'm investing in your brewery, but all of a sudden I actually need that money back or, um, you know, I've lost the house or whatever might happen, what happens there? If it's amicable, not amicable, all those scenarios need to be looked after. So that, so that was done. Um, you know, I think... Um, spending your time to think about growth. So it's pretty easy to open a small brewery and then think later, oh, God, I should have made this bigger. Or you know, Everybody always says, you hear it from pretty much every brewer that's opened a brewery in the entire world is, I should have gone bigger. And yes, I should have gone bigger. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of questions. No, but you, you say that, but you see a lot of breweries that started a size and they start making compromises very quickly to try and fill volume. Yeah, and I think, I think for me, the question is more about space than it is about size of brew houses and all those sorts of things. And a brew house, uh, you know, we actually only have a 1,200-litre 12, uh, brew house, but it's a four-vessel high-throughput brewery. We can do four brews in, in you know, less than 12 hours. So actually, we can do you know five thousand, pretty much five thousand liters in a day. So, it, whereas you can have, I had a two thousand liter brewery at at Riverside, um, but I could only really do one brew a day. Mm -hmm. So in, in even though I've got a 12,000 12, liter brewery, I can actually make a hell of a lot more beer. Um, but I think it's more about having the space. You can add fermenters. You can even upgrade the brew house pretty easily these days. But unless you've got, if you don't have the space to do that, that's when you're going to get yourself into trouble. And what did you learn from your beer selection from uh, Riverside versus uh, opening at Akasha? What we did at Riverside was probably get a little bit too... I, I, I focused too much on the 5%, on the, uh, on the, the beer fanatics. I was going to use the word beer nerd, but I refuse to use it these days. Well, you'd insult half the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I include myself. I always preface that by saying I include myself in that group, right? But... Um, oh. It, it's you've got to be careful that you know to have a successful business you do need to look at the broader market so um having said it didn't change too much we um i've always said that you if you are passionate about something you've got to do you've got to there's no point in me being passionate about ipas and brewing uh having a lager brewery or having a you know just brewing easy to approach parallels or whatever it might be but i don't think there's anything wrong with having that in your range but i think we're always. I think it, brand is important to me, and we spent a lot of time agreeing on what our brand actually was. You know, beyond the name, beyond any of that sort of stuff, that really doesn't matter. So, what is your brand? So, our what, brand, what is your elevator pitch were, about Akasha? For us, it's about we're unashamedly, unashamed, unashamedly, brew hop forward beers. That's what we do. What we wanted to do was when somebody saw a can or at that stage a bottle or a keg or whatever it was in the fridge they knew what they were going to they knew that this was mostly even if it's a lager it's probably going to have a lot of hops in it and and it's going to be that american style but we wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to please the market too much by saying you know doing a colch one week doing a imperial stout coming back to an ipa double ipa back to here and just confusing the market which i think this is a whole nother conversation, but I think that there's a lot of brands out there where you're really not quite sure what you're going to get each time. So for us, it was about unashamedly you know, brewing a particular type of beer that people would recognise. Um, and the other was quality. So quality for us, um, a lot of people talk quality. Um, actually doing it is a different thing. So we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we do state it and we do um, everything we do, we try and improve. We don't know everything. We're not, you know, we're not at a point in our careers any of us at the brewery where we think that we've made it and you know we know everything we certainly know any of that so um quality is about brewing the best beer that you at that point know how to brew and having the the right equipment the right lab the right everything to support that the more that we learn about hops the more volatile that we realize that they are yep. if you if you want to build a brand on hop forward beers what can you do at the brewery to make sure that the experience once you've lost control of the things that you can control provides a consumer with the thing that you wanted to create 
There's a couple of different things. I think the quality aspect of, you know, minimise the oxygen, um, you know, make sure it's a shelf-stable product before it goes into a can. So all the way back to when we're mashing in, we're thinking about how it's going to affect the end product to the ingredients that we use. Hops, even what hops you use can make a big difference. There are, if we talk about the volatility of hops, there's, 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 there's hops out there. Like Mosaic is a perfect example. That's got a lot. Look, Mosaic has quite a lot of legs on it. You can have a can of Mosaic three months later in the brewery and it tastes pretty much the same. So um, whereas if you had something like, um, we use a fair bit of Amarillo, that's pretty volatile. Um, Cascade, we find Cascade changes a bit. So it depends on what hops you're talking about. There are certain hops that really do have a lot more legs than other hops. So it comes down to in, you know, choice of ingredients as well. So again, not saying we've solved it by any stretch of the imagination, but it really is, you know, I spent the first how many years of my career saying, oh, it's all, it's all the venue's fault because they didn't keep it cold and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and yeah, we, we work on that. But if we can try and make a product that will sit on the shelf for six months and still be okay... Um, then it's going to be even better in the, in the fridge as well. You just said if the beer will be okay. You didn't found Akasha going, we want to provide an okay experience. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like, we and, well and, no, up, and, and I'm not, yeah, not yeah. having a no, dig, no. but I, it, it's one of those things, you know, and you talked about, you know, I, I, I fell hard for craft beer. Yeah, yeah. No one ever fell hard for Wonder White bread. Yeah. No one ever felt hard, you know, fell hard for. I, I disagree. American well, barbecue. Has to have <laughs> white, but but, bread. but it can have it. But it, but having yeah. Wonder White goes. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> this is you know. No one ever unwrapped a plastic wrapped cheese slice and said, "This is what I want to do with my yeah. life." But you have a craft beer and you go and it changes lives. Yep. But you hear the passion that brewers make about the beer leaving their brewery. But then they sort of you know. Then there's that next level is. But I'd like to provide an okay experience for somebody in Western Australia. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, and it's, it's one of the things, one of the many, many things that keeps me awake at night is how can we do it? As I said, I haven't solved it yet. And I, I quite often, the first thing I do when I walk into a venue, and I, you know, I did that here today, was, was taste the beer. Um, it makes me nervous in a pub, not because I should be nervous, but I just, it's a healthy nervousness, if you like, that... You know, we've got Canada Bay Club, which is uh, one of our local clubs, literally 500 metres from the brewery. I walk in there, I still do the same thing. I, I get, please pour me a beer. Um, let's see what it tastes like. Let's make sure, one, that we got it here okay, and then that it's being treated okay once it got there. It really does keep me awake at night. So when I think about, it stresses me out thinking about, um, you know, cans going to the other side of the country and sitting on a warm shelf. But the difference between now and, and a year ago is that um, is that we're working towards to make, make and, and I haven't solved it yet, so it still stresses me out. That's why I say, okay, I hope I'm doing a good job of explaining myself. Okay, but let, let's talk about this beer because, and I, I, I don't review beers because, as I say, everyone's experience with a beer is different. You never step into the same river twice because the water flows past and the beer changes. You're not, yeah. And the other thing about beer, this is the thought police coming, um, <laughs> the, the other thing about beer is that you, know, you make wine once a year and so that vintage, for, for the changes that take place during that year, you have the same vintage. Yep. Beer can be made every single day for a year and be a little bit different every time. So mm-hmm. beer is vastly different. And the other thing is it's so subjective and sitting and having a beer with a brewer is a different experience from having a shitty day at work, paying $26 for a four-pack and going home and drinking it um, you know, while your wife's nagging you. Uh, or my, not that my wife would nag anyway. Um, careful. <laughs> um, Be very, very careful. <laughs> at it, well, I'm divorced. You might wonder why I'm divorced. Um, but that's a, a long way of saying this is glorious. Tell us about Mosaic. Tell us about this particular beer. You probably saw my eyes light up. Um, and there are certain beers of 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 ours that I, that I get very passionate about. And this is certainly one of them. We um, one of the things that I used to do as a home brewer, and you probably heard this many times, is I used to. Um, it's more that science thing behind me, right? Getting the process right, but also getting to understand ingredients well, and particularly hops. So you know, brewing with a single hop really is gives you a chance to to understand it 
intimately to then be able to bring other hops together. I don't think you can just keep throwing different hops together and, and see how they go. I think if, once you intimately understand each hop, then you can start bringing them together. So we do, we do a single hop series. We used to do them quite a lot. And Mosaic was, was when, we, when we did the first single hop, again, one of those moments in my life was, wow, the comp- the, the, it's just one of those, one of the unique hops that I've ever dealt with. Um, the only other one that I put in the same camp of that is, is Cascade. I have, a, I have a deep love of Cascade, and that probably comes from when I first discovered beer and when I was brewing beer, I used a lot of Cascade, and I continue to now. Um, where, what you do with that hop can actually change the f- flavour quite significantly. So um, where you use in the boil, when you dry hop. Even, even different dry hopping days will give you different flavours. So you can get quite a complex beer by using the same hop in different ways. Mm. And Mosaic is just one of those just amazing hops that you can have a, a mosaic IPA from three different breweries and they all taste completely different. Uh, absolutely, and but it's, it, the, the second that I drank that, like I was getting uh, dried mango. Like, yep. and, and I don't want to sort of sound like I've got the cravat on and being a wanker about it, but <laughs> uh, because most flavour notes that you taste of beers, you just go, oh, somebody has read the tasting notes of the hop <laughs> packet that they've opened and so sort of that... But, and I had no expectation of this beer, but straight away I got, you know, sort of peach and, mm. you know, it, it, it reminds me of having a, a dried mango slice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, see, I get, I get a lot of these sort of berry sort of flavours from it. And, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those hops that gives um, something different to a lot of different people. So, and I'm the same. I try not to tell people, if we're at a tasting or I'm doing a guided tasting, I, I quite often try and get other people to tell me what they taste and smell before I tell them what I do, because it could yeah. be completely different. Well, and one of my favourite lines is, you know, if you've ever been to a wine tasting and you've got the wanker up the front saying, you're going to get hints of wet granite and gooseberry, and everyone will nod sagely, and then you sort of turn to the people on the other side, have you ever eaten a gooseberry? And they'll go, nah. And they'll all... <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? But, yeah. but, and, and so it's a deeply subjective experience, but yeah. when you try this beer... Even if you don't, even if you've never had a packet of dried mango, you're tasting your own equivalent of what my Whatever description is. Yeah, and and there is a really distinct, different flavour to this beer than you would get from a lot of other IPAs or a lot yeah. of other pale ales. Yeah, and and it's a universally loved beer for us as well. Um, it's a good example. We have our um, again another another topic of conversation around core and limited releases, but. We are, as a brewery, strong believers in having a strong core range of beers, which really does support us as a business. There's no doubt about that. So we're a strong believer and always have been to have that core range of beers that represent what we do and then have seasonals that, 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 that enhance that. But um, Mosaic, for us, um, as I said, we did a bunch of single hop releases. That one stood out, not just for us, but for our customers as well. Um, and every time we released it, it'd just sell out. Every single time. Um, so that's an example of beer where, you know what, this is, we really need to take this beer a little more, more seriously. And, um, yeah, this literally is the first core range batch of this beer, so it'll always be available from now. Um, which is good, right? Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> so it's, um, so yeah, it's, it, core range beers for us are, are really have to represent who we are, what we do, and, and those values that we spoke about before. And that fits in perfectly with that. So talk about come of some of the uh, key... So is it an IPA or a pale ale? Because, is this beer? Yeah. Well, oh, it's a, very, it's a Be- very subjective thing, isn't well, it? Well, because I, I, I sit here and the balance on that beer, I'm getting some lingering bitterness. I'm getting the fruit up. No, you know, but and I, I don't know what the alcohol is on it. I'm just getting a little bit of that sort of heat at the end. Mm, but mm. Would you be surprised if I told you it was 7.2%? I would absolutely be surprised just because it's that alcohol at the yeah. end that is the only thing that gives that away. So, and I actually remember uh, the last chat we had um, a while back, we were talking about hops and we we're talking, and I spoke about the, the, what we call the triangle of balance. I don't know if you remember this conversation at all, but... So we, we often talk about balance in terms of sweetness and bitterness, mm. but alcohol is such an important part of balance. Um, we, we talk about the three things, and we need to get those three things in balance. So whether we're brewing uh, you know, 4.4% lager, a 5.2% pale, a 7.2% IPA, an 8.5% double IPA, 10.5% 
triple IPA or a 12% quad IPA, we always try and get... Yes, we have brutalized. <laughs> <laughs> we try and, and, and achieve a sense of balance because drinkability is important. It doesn't matter if it's a big alcohol beer. Drinkability is important. Um, and that's exactly what we, what we try and achieve in every beer. So I'm glad you said that. Um, again, another thing with IPAs, um, which is interesting, um, is that we, we have a pretty much all our IPAs um, has a, a two-week improvement period after kegging and, and canning. So, um, and, and what causes that? It just, again, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and explain the science because I'd be lying if I tried to. But it really just comes down to us. We, we, we're big on tasting our beers um, before, after, after packaging, and then, and then throughout. And the way we explain it is that it, 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 everything just comes together. So as soon as I keg or can a beer, I, I taste it. I can usually taste the components of it. I can taste the mosaic hop. I can taste the ale malt. I can taste the yeast if, it's, if, if there's enough there. Um, after two weeks, everything just comes together. I'd, I'd love to be like able to... It's curry. The, 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 the curry is always day. better the next day. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly... Perfect. Thank you. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> Register so, trademark. You know, as much as I can sit here and say, talk about the science of it, which I really don't know, is that we know that our beers taste the best two to three weeks after packaging. Um, we talk All about... packaging or just keg? Uh, cans can be a little bit quicker because they're smaller packaging. They also age a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, but um, generally speaking, two to three weeks after a beer is packaged um, is when we think it hits its peak. And that was part one of my conversation with Dave Padden from Akasha. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Bruise News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. 